Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would turn in your copy of Scripture. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read two texts of Scripture, one from chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 17, one from chapter 12. We're going to reflect this morning on worshiping through gospel pictures. And of course, we're talking about the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. I wonder what it is that is your primary learning style. You're familiar with the learning styles, the different kinds of learners, the auditory learners and the visual learners, and the learners that do best with reading and writing, and the learners that are kinesthetic learners. I think I have a son that is a kinesthetic learner. He learns best by practice and by what he does. And in, in my life and experience, I've always learned well under teachers and lecturers and those who would speak. That's why I like audiobooks, because I can learn through auditory mechanisms. What I think is fascinating about Scripture and about God and about what He invites us to do as His followers is He provides for all the different learning styles within His congregation of people. For those of you that are auditory learners, you get a sermon and you get songs and you get an opportunity to hear the Word of God and the Gospel communicated on a regular basis. For those of you that are visual learners, we have beautiful stained glass windows for you to reflect on the glory of the cross and the picture of Jesus there in Gethsemane behind me. You have a screen that you can look and see words that are printed on a screen. And that's practical in nature as well as intentional in nature. Practical for some folks in our congregation have a very difficult time reading a hymn book any longer. Their eyesight is such that that is not very easy for them. And so screens allow for them to continue to participate with us in worship, albeit with a few less opportunities than you can have in a hymn book, such as the musical uh, formulations that are put there. Uh, God also has provided for those of us that are uh, learners by reading and writing. Folks, you have a, a word in front of you, a scripture in front of you, a book in front of you, and a hymnal. We provide notes every week. For some of us, do much better when we're able to write some things down. God's also provided pictures for us in kinesthetic ways to learn. And we may not do this as often as we ought to. We're trying to uh, uh, issue a corrective in our own life, in our own tradition as Baptists, to observe the Lord's Supper on a more often basis because it is a picture of the gospel. It's something that we not only watch and hear, it's not only something we're told about, but it's something we as a body of believers participate in. It's a family meal. And so, in our worship service today, we're going to have an opportunity to partake of that. Now, why is it that God has provided these means for us to learn and grow? It's because He wants us to know how important it is that we're, first of all, part of His family, but then we act as a part of His family through the pictures and the display of the gospel and its application in our lives. Read with me, if you will, two passages of Scripture. We'll read chapter 12 first. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 beginning in verse 12, just two verses. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one Spirit, which we've sung to the Father, Son, and Spirit this morning in our worship service, 
Trinitarian worship, for one spirit, we were all, what, baptized into one body. That's a family. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul talked earlier in 1 Corinthians about him not being the primary um, officer over baptism. Others baptized many of the believers in Corinth. Uh, but baptism is the important entry point into being a part of God's family. It's the public affirmation of what you testify to privately in conversion and salvation. Uh, Paul also wrote to the Corinthian church on this subject of the Lord's Supper. Read with me, if you will, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. That is a very striking comment. Paul's saying, what you say is communion is not really communion, folks. You're not really observing the Lord's Supper. And he goes on to say why. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed also took this bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and the body and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. In this series, Revelation of Response and Biblical Worship, uh, we're trying to do several things throughout the course of looking at different passages of Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament. We're trying to remind you that worship is about God, first and foremost. It is attention to Him. It's theocentric. It's Christocentric. Also trying to remind our, our congregation that our worship services, our worship practices should be gospel-saturated. Everything that we do in our worship services should reflect the goodness and greatness of God and the picture of that through His gospel that brings us redemption. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice in the, even the order of our worship service, and by the way, we're, we're, we're not a, a formally liturgical congregation. We're a Baptist church. We have functioned in a free church kind of mindset with regard to liturgy. For some of you that have come from maybe a different background, denominational background, such as uh, maybe Roman Catholic or Anglican, they observe a, a denominational liturgy, a denominational calendar that kind of 
frames not only what you do week by week and year by year in the life of the church, but Sunday by Sunday in the worship service. We're not that. And I don't know that we'll ever move toward anything like that in terms of a liturgy. But let me say this very clearly. Every church has a liturgy. A liturgy is simply an order of worship. If you go to Baptist churches that are as free as they can be, if you go to Baptist churches that are freer than we are, say an independent version of Baptist churches or or primitive version of Baptist churches, if you were to go there week after week and spend three or four weeks, you would discover that they have a pretty typical pattern to their worship. You know, something happens at the beginning and there's that it's typically the same thing. And, and our church has a little bit of that as well. One of the things we're trying to do in our worship service is make sure that the gospel is what frames what we do in our worship service. That's one of the reasons we begin with adoration. The gospel begins not with us. The gospel begins with God. That's why scripture is the starting point for our worship. That's why our first several songs are not about us. And they're not for us, but they're about God and they're for God. They're to help us as congregation members remember why we're here. We're here for the praise and the glory of the God who is. And then you'll discover in our worship guide, there's a time for confession and prayer. Because we do have a part in the worship service, although... Our part in the worship service and our part in worship is sometimes far less glorious than we'd like it to be. You know what our part in the gospel is, right? Our part in the gospel is that we're sinners and we need the God who saves us. And so when we reflect on God's greatness, it naturally moves us to a place of confession and repentance. Where we recognize that we're not the God we just sang about. And that it's not all about us and that it's about Him. And I think a regular pattern in our worship service should be a note of confession. A recognition of the brokenness in us and also around us. While it's not official in the, in the text of, uh, of our worship guide, we, we next move to an explanation of the gospel. That Jesus is our pardon. He is our assurance. That's why many of our songs following our time of prayer are songs of testimony. They're songs of commendation to one another about the gospel that we have. That's why when I preach to us each week from God's Word, I try to make sure that what I say is gospel framed, even if the text itself doesn't go to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in terms of its content. The reason for that is obvious because if we have a God who is worthy of being praised and we are sinners in need of redemption and salvation, then the only solution to that is Jesus, who is our redemption, who is our Savior in the gospel. And and then every worship service should end with some sort of response. Today, our response will be participating in the family meal of communion. Uh, Other weeks, it might be a specific application from Scripture. Other times, it might be us making sure that we give in an offering. Certainly, there's a response when we praise and when we pray to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In some ways, and maybe we'll do this in our worship guide in the future, we, we could simply say, Uh, The gospel in adoration, and the gospel in confession, and the gospel in its story, and the gospel in response. Because our liturgy should give us a picture of the gospel in which we uh, believe and wholeheartedly hold on to. Why does that matter, folks? It matters because even even if that is subtle, it, it is a regular reminder that when we gather for this hour or hour and 15 minutes, depending on how long your long-winded preacher preaches on occasion. But this time of, of gathering, 
What we do in this gathering should reflect what we believe, not just the content, not just the songs we sing, and not just the sermons we preach. The actual frame of what we do should be pictured, uh, it should picture the gospel. The Bible doesn't demand that we have some specific liturgical format, but it does suggest patterns in both the Old and New Testament. Some of the sermons we're going to preach in the coming weeks do just that. They remind us that when we get in the presence of God, we see His holiness and His greatness. It moves us to confession, where we need atonement and forgiveness through a Savior, through a Redeemer, Redeemer and Forgiver. And God never brings us to the point of Christ and stops us there. He brings us to the point of Christ that we will respond in humility and confession and repentance. And so what we're going to do this morning in our worship service is reflect on what do baptism and the Lord's table have to do with this gospel picture in which we worship. And, and very simply, it's this. When we gather and worship, when we observe the ordinances, we observe the ordinances to reflect the gospel. The whole point of the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's table, is to picture the gospel that we have received in our hearts and we have said we're going to follow Jesus Christ by living out these ordinances. A word of clarification here. They are ordinances. Some traditions will call them sacraments or means of grace, signs of grace. Sean Wright puts it this way. One danger of placing too much emphasis on the ordinances is treating baptism and communion that's what saves people. This is wrong. Folks, only trusting in Jesus' saving work on the cross will save. That's the only thing that saves. The, the image of baptism, which we try to do regularly, here's a wild thought in the life of Wilkesboro Baptist Church. We've planned baptisms pretty regularly over this year. Every time we plan and fulfill a baptism, we have someone else to baptize, which is really an awesome thing in the life of our church that we've seen happen. We've got several to baptize. Prayerfully, we will baptize next week. If we don't baptize next week, it won't be because we don't need to. It will be because we have not been able to repair a cold baptistry. Our heating element, pump element is not, not all that great. If you want to find out a little bit more details about that, ask Pastor Tad about his last baptism experience and that the heating element wasn't working, so we're trying to get that repaired. Or we could just go out to a stream and baptize in the cold, like some of you were baptized in the creeks and the rivers over the years. Nevertheless, baptism is a wonderful picture, but it doesn't save. God commands baptism, but baptism is important because it pictures what has already happened internally. Internally, we've trusted Jesus to be our Savior. His atoning death on the cross paid for our sins. And so we were buried with Christ in our sins and raised to new life with Christ in His resurrection. And so baptism is one's public articulation to a congregation of people. I am joining with this body of believers to testify that I've trusted in Jesus to be my Savior. It's a wonderful picture. It is for believers and it is post-conversion. But it doesn't save you, nor does the Lord's Supper save you. Some traditions observe the Lord's Supper as a sacrament, believing that it is a specific means of grace. That in the event of communion, we receive something special from the Lord. Some traditions would say that the body and the blood become Jesus Christ, or that Jesus is in a very special way with the elements. I don't think it's necessary to go that far, and I don't think the Scripture articulates some kind of claim for that. I think the Scripture tells us that baptism and communion represent 
or to use a word that Brian Chapel uses in, in his book, Christ-Centered uh, Worship, represent the gospel in our opportunity together. And so, what does communion do? Well, Jesus instituted communion as the new covenant. The, the blood or the wine represented his blood, and the bread represented his body that he offered for us, like that Passover lamb all the way back in the Old Testament, the Passover sacrifice, to be our redemption and to be our salvation. So these ordinances are designed to picture the gospel. That's why we ought to talk about them. That's why we ought to participate in them. That's why we ought to have them regularly in the life of the church because every time we baptize, it's an opportunity to picture, visualize the gospel. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in just a moment, it gives us an opportunity to picture the gospel. Not just talk about it. Not just be an auditory experience of the gospel. Not just be a singing or praising experience of the gospel. But to be a, an, an active visible, effective, kinesthetic opportunity for us as the body of believers to participate in the glories of the gospel. We observe the ordinances to reflect the gospel. We also observe the ordinances, secondly, in obedience to Christ. They're called an ordinance because they were ordained by the Lord, and quite frankly, they were commanded by the Lord. And I think this is one of the areas, one of the reasons some traditions have maybe elevated them a little too much uh, because Jesus himself said, go in all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. Jesus said, as often as you do this, talking to his disciples on the night of his death, as often as you do this, you proclaim my death until I come. And he instituted the new covenant. They are commanded. It, 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 our church could do a lot of things. And there are a lot of things we might do that you like. And there are a lot of things you might do that we don't like. Or some things. Hopefully there are not many things we do that you don't like. But nevertheless, there are a lot of things we as a congregation of people could do or not do. And it wouldn't make us a church or not a church. But I'll tell you this. If we don't observe baptism in the Lord's table, we're disobeying Christ. It's plain and simple. So if you're here today and you've trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, but you've not followed through in believer's baptism, I'm just going to share with you very candidly, you're living in disobedience to Jesus' command. Jesus commanded a person to put their faith and trust in Him, to repent and believe and receive the gospel, and then the following act after conversion is to be baptism. Plain and simple, that's what God commands. And so the ordination of baptism, or the ordinance of baptism, rather, is designed as a command to obey Jesus and to follow Him. Same thing with the Lord's table. As a church, we are to observe the Lord's table. And throughout church history, there have been weekly observances of communion, monthly observances of communion. Baptists have been notorious for holding a quarterly observance of communion. There are special times we are always going to observe communion, such as at Christmas and at Easter. But there ought to be a regular reminder of the gospel. It is a command of God. And so we observe the ordinances in obedience to Christ. Communion... Uh, and baptism are not salvific, but they are commanded, and they're commanded because of what they reflect. Paul uh, says here that he, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which uh, 
is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and after supper he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus commanded it. He commanded it because it reflected a new covenant which he wrote about in the Old Testament. Jesus' own words or, or God's words through the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah. As he, uh, Jeremiah put it this way, For this covenant, this new covenant, I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord in Jeremiah 31. He said, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What Paul is reflecting on here in this church, the Corinth, Corinthian church, he's saying to them, Jesus instituted a new covenant. It's a new covenant he promised and talked about in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's a covenant where God redeems his people individually and specially through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a new covenant that reflects the conversion experience that hopefully all of us in this room have had where we've met Jesus, been forgiven, had our sins cleansed and washed, and then we're to regularly reflect that experience of belief and salvation in the Lord's table. And Jesus commands it. And He commands it, and as He commands it, we're reminded that we're to examine ourselves. I'll tell you why we're to examine ourselves. I'll tell you what Paul was dealing with here in this text. I'll give you a third reason we observe the ordinances. We observe the ordinances to express our commitment to the New Covenant community. If you and I have been made believers, brought into a faith relationship with Christ, been given the opportunity to become Christians and gather with other people, then this table, this meal, is not an individual experience. It's a family meal. It's communion, which, which comes from the Greek word koinonia, out of you, we're together. We're, we're, we're a one body which is what he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 with baptism. We've been made one. And so what was going on in, in Corinth that was so troubling is, is they were calling the meal that they shared, probably on a weekly basis, they were calling it the Lord's table. But what was happening is some of the folks who didn't have to work because the church in that day was made up of slaves and not slaves. Uh, it was made up of the wealthy and the not wealthy, just like every church should be made up of a, a, of a spectrum of people on, the, on, on multi-generational scales, socioeconomic scales. Our, our churches should be made up of people of all stripes and backgrounds because the gospel is not limited to the haves or the have-nots. It is for all people. So what was happening there in Corinth is the people that were wealthy were bringing their meals with them to church and they were eating before everybody else gathered. That's what was taking place. So it'd be like uh, some of us showing up uh, for a church meal uh, that was advertised at 1 o'clock and we bring all our food at 11.30 so we make sure we eat the food we like and we start eating at 12 before everybody else shows up at 1. Now, uh, you may do that at family gatherings just because, you know, it's a family gathering and you've got black sheep in your family and that kind of thing. That's okay. And that's not absolutely wrong. The problem is when we call that the Lord's table, that's when it's wrong. And that's what was problematic in Corinth. 
the church was gathering and saying half of them were participating and then the other half were going away hungry because there wasn't anything left because everybody had feasted and they were calling it communion and it wasn't together. Which is why Paul would go on to say, verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner. Some of us have read that and wondered, man, I'm, I'm, is, is God talking to me? Is he saying that I should not participate in the Lord's table if I'm unworthy? I want you to get the way it's worded in the New Testament. It's intentional. Whoever partakes in an unworthy manner. In other words, the manner of our observance is what matters in terms of whether it's unworthy or not worthy. Because the reality is, folks, all of us, based on our own sin condition, are unworthy But those of us that have been redeemed and brought into a relationship with Christ are made worthy by Christ. And so our privilege of partaking of the meal is bought by the blood of Jesus and bought by His death on the cross. Our our manner in which we observe this as a church or as individuals is what we must make sure that we protect. And what was the problem? The problem was they were creating disunity. That's what was taking place in the manner of observance in Corinth. Paul goes on to say, let a person examine himself then. That's what we're to do. And in a moment, if you haven't done so already, we need to take some time for some self-examination. Examine himself and so eat and drink of the cup. Check verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Paul says, we observe the ordinances to express our commitment to the new covenant community and in so doing, we need to make very clear that we observe with a recognition of humility, confession, cleansing, repentance, self-examination. Because in the case of Corinth, some folks, because of the unworthy manner in which they had participated, some folks had gotten ill. Some folks had died. Now, I'm not going to ever, it's not my place to speculate what happens in the life of people in our community or what happens in the life of people in another community. But Paul is an apostle speaking with the authority of the Holy Spirit writing this text of Scripture. God takes what we do as we gather as His people very, very seriously. Why? Because folks, it's about what Christ did for us together. So when we think about self-examination, we think about self-examination in these ways. Let me make this very clear. Participating in the Lord's table is not for the perfect. It's for the penitent. You and I do not have to walk into this room sinlessly perfect to partake of the meal. We don't. We never will be. Uh, Think about the people Jesus served when he instituted the new covenant. Peter in just a few hours was going to deny him. Judas betrayed him and all of them left him. And he still instituted a new covenant with them. I mean, to, to some degree you wonder, man, couldn't Jesus have found more loyal people? I think there's a, there's a truth to that. There's a point to that for us. Because we could ask the same thing about you and me. Couldn't Jesus have redeemed more loyal people? If you acted like I acted yesterday in some moments, then you'd wonder, you know, should, should I participate? Well, we should. Because it's an opportunity to reflect on the forgiveness that God offers. But we ought to participate with a sense of humility and confession as well. So what does that mean for us? Church family, today as we participate in the Lord's table, which will follow our time of invitation, today the Lord invites you to confess and repent. 
particularly with relationship to whether there's division among you. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're here and you've got a problem with your brother or sister, or they've got a problem with you, then you need to do some business with the Lord before you partake of the Lord's table. If you're living at odds with a spouse or with a child or with a family member or with a church family member, the issue here in Corinth was the fact that there was a division created by the manner in which they were observing the Lord's table. And Christian, follower of Jesus, if the, if the cup and, and the elements are passed and, and you know there's aught with you, then you might be impressed by the Lord to not partake today. You might be impressed to partake and partake in confession and humility with a promise to the Lord that as soon as you have opportunity today, you're going to call that person and you're going to apologize and you're going to make things right and you're going to try to seek out forgiveness. Why? Because folks, it matters that we are a covenant community together. God didn't just redeem you. He didn't just redeem me. He redeemed us to be His body of believers. Christ follower, today the Lord invites you to examine your heart and reflect on the Christ who saved you. The opportunity to partake of communion is an opportunity to explore our own hearts in light of the glory and greatness of Christ and confess and repent. And all of us could do that. So we'll have an opportunity in a moment. Sinner, if you're here and you have not yet trusted Jesus to be your Savior, I'm just going to be frank with you. Jesus commands you to repent and to believe. He commands you to follow Him. He invites you to see in the pictures of baptism and the Lord's table that there's an opportunity for forgiveness in life. And if that's you, I would invite you today to talk with someone about what it means to follow Jesus and become a Christian. If you're here and you're not baptized, you need to be baptized. If you're a follower of Christ. And I would tell you, if you're here and you've been converted but you've not been baptized, don't partake of the Lord's table because you're living in disobedience to the Lord's command to be faithful to Him through baptism. And I would just encourage you, hey, let's get baptism right and then participate in the Lord's table. So let me say, who can't participate? And we'll give an invitation and we'll celebrate. If you have not professed faith in Christ publicly, you should not partake the Lord's, uh, ta- Lord's table when, it, when, when the elements pass. If you're here and you're in a state of discord, unforgiveness between you and a brother, you and a brother or sister in Jesus, then I would tell you that until that's rectified, you probably should avoid partaking the Lord's table. At the very least, if you do partake today, you should partake with a note of humility and confession for your part and a seeking out of reconciliation after the participation today. And finally, let me just say this. If you're here and you're holding on to a sin that you're not repenting of, let me warn you, don't, don't partake today. Repent of that sin. Use this as an opportunity to seek forgiveness and repentance. But do hear me. This table that we're going to take in a moment is a table for those who've been forgiven. It's not a table for the self-righteous. It's not an invitation for those who have. It's an invitation for those who need Jesus. And folks, when we partake in celebration... Even given the warnings that are found in, in the text, you know what we're doing? We're proclaiming the Lord's death till He comes. We're gathering as a body of believers, and here's what we're saying. We're saying to all those who are here in the room, 
and by testimony, all those that we'll minister to in the week, we're saying that Jesus Christ is real. He's our Savior. He's our forgiver. And I'm a part of this community of believers that's going to take that message and we're going to share it with our friends and our family members. We're going to share it with our neighbors and the nations. That's who we're going to be. We're going to be this covenant community redeemed and, and rescued by Jesus. We're going to take that message to others. And so folks, as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a member here to partake. But I will tell you this, we should recognize that we're committing to be a part of a covenant community of saved, redeemed followers of Jesus that reflect that gospel to others. That's worth some things. As we move into a time of invitation, let me invite you to thank God for His forgiveness. The Lord's table is a, is a reminder of what it cost Him to redeem you. We ought to be thankful. The Lord's table is also an invitation to look in our own hearts and lives, see if there's anything there that's amiss. And so as Dr. Mike comes and leads us in an invitation and a response song, you take some time to think internally, to pray, to confess, to, to look in your own heart and life, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Dr. Mike, you lead us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.